The last vestiges of that long-running legal dispute surrounding the Pentagon's Jedi cloud contract faded away this week. The Supreme Court declined to hear Oracle Corporation's challenge to how the contract was structured. Meanwhile, DOD is closing in on a contract that will replace Jedi. DOD cloud officials say they've finished their market research for that joint warfighter commercial cloud program. And as Federal News Network's Jared Serbu reports, they expect to make a decision on which companies will be part of the new multi-cloud contract by the end of this month. The department plans to issue directed solicitations to at least two companies, at a minimum, Microsoft and Amazon. But defense officials have previously left the door open, or at least cracked, to the possibility that they'd include the three other largest players in the U.S. commercial cloud market, Google, IBM, and Oracle. That's part of what the market research process was meant to determine. Danielle Metz is the Deputy DOD Chief Information Officer for Information Enterprise. This is an aggressive campaign that we have done in order to realize that strategic shift in July. Um, most times, uh, something similar to this, this would have taken 10 months for market research to, to have occurred and to done the acquisition. Uh, the team did it in 60 days. Uh, and it's because we recognize the importance and are hearing the sense of urgency from our combatant commanders on the fact that we still have an urgent unmet capability gap in terms of we don't have a contract where we can have an order cloud services and infrastructure at all three classification levels in the tactical edge. Met speaking Wednesday during an event hosted by government CIO media. Once those directed solicitations have been issued, DOD plans to make contract awards to cloud providers by next April. From there, the hope is to be able to have JWCC services available for DOD components to order by 30 days afterward. But that's only for unclassified level cloud services. Classified services will take a bit longer. Cloud products approved at the secret level should be available within 60 days of that April contract award, and DOD hopes to have top secret level services available within 180 days of the award. A lot of machination is taking place right now, but the JWCC, I consider, is a, a crown jewel um, within our software modernization strategy because you need to have cloud the infrastructure in order for us to do agile DevSecOps, you have to have the cloud and you have to have it at all three classification levels. And we need to be able to make it so that you're able to have it at your fingertips and not take months or even a year to, to have access to that. So that's, that's a real uh, big change. And I think we're starting to realize some of the benefits from that strategic change just because of the sense of urgency and the incredible team that we have that, are, that is working um, this for us. When DOD first canceled the controversial JEDI contract in July, officials said at the time that they would hold talks with all five large U.S.-based cloud infrastructure providers, but that their market research up until that point seemed to indicate that only Microsoft and AWS would suit its needs. In filings, in its case, before the U.S. Supreme Court just last month, Oracle gave no indication that those talks have given that company any reason to think it'll win a spot on the JWCC contract. Quite the opposite, in fact. Company attorneys told the justices they should hear Oracle's challenge to the Jedi contract, even though the Jedi contract had already been canceled by that point, because, in Oracle's view, DoD is still using a selection process that only allows for Microsoft and AWS to actually win. But speaking to reporters in July, just after Jedi's official cancellation, John Sherman, DOD's then-acting CIO, insisted it wasn't a foregone conclusion that JWCC would be awarded to just Amazon and Microsoft. We've been at this for a few years now, and the evolving landscape and mission drivers that have happened in that interim period is what's driven our new way of thinking about what we really need based on our engagement 
with the stakeholders here in the department. So that's how I would say the litigation has affected us. The landscape has continued to shift during the time frame, both on the private sector side with the cloud service providers, as well as how our users have become more conversant. Over the next three and a half months, via the market research that Ms. Woods and CCPO and her team are going to be leading with my direct involvement too from CIO and DISA leadership and so on, to hear fully their company's capabilities, uh, that we're going to be asking for artifacts and engagement, and to ensure that if they're able to meet to the level we need, that we get all that information and keep that door open through October, that's how we're going to approach this. And whereas we can never control for every factor, our openness to this is going to be critical on that point. Although the department's enterprise cloud ambitions have already been set back by three years of litigation and changes, Met says DOD has used that time, especially recently, to also put in place some of the building blocks that will help the military use those enterprise cloud services efficiently. For example, in order to launch and sustain the wildly successful commercial virtual remote service DOD set up to let its employees telework in the early stages of the pandemic, the department first had to dramatically expand its connectivity between DOD's own networks and the public Internet. And Met says the department has learned there are several other critical enablers to successfully using cloud services that weren't in place when the JEDI project first started in 2017 and 2018. DOD laid out several of those key lessons when it published a new cloud strategy for overseas locations this spring. Among them, besides having robust network connectivity, the department also needs cloud data centers that are physically located near the overseas locations where military forces operate. Right now, the way that we have things structured is that we're doing a lot of backhauling from those uh, OCONUS locations back to the United States. That is labor intensive for the equipment. <laughs> and it also uh, impacts because it's increasing a lot of latency. So a lot of the things that, you know, our warfighter needs to have uh, in terms of making uh, near real-time decisions, uh, imagery, all of that is intensive as uh, for the network. But why are we moving it all the way back to the United States so it can go back? So it is creating significant delays and um, increasing the ability of um, putting our people and our allies in harm's way. And maybe most importantly, Matt says, the department now realizes that its own workforce needs more cloud expertise than it currently has, and certainly more than it had three years ago. We recognize if we're able to fix problem one and problem two, but we don't address problem three, everything's for naught. And so it really has to be a symbiotic relationship in terms of ensuring that we have the right infrastructure in place, that we have the computing edge pushed to where the warfighter is, and then the third piece is ensuring that once we have all those things, that the warfighter and the people who are actually at the edge know how to use it and they can use it well and it's seamless for them. And so those are really three big goals that we're going after. Some are going to have some incredible lead time that we're going to have to work through. And so it's a whole government approach in terms of working with members of, in Congress, other federal partners, also with our cloud service providers and developing a cohesive strategy that works for the department to be able to deliver these much-needed services to where they are needed. And it's not necessarily here in the United States. Jared Serbu, Federal News Radio, part of the Federal News Network. Check out Jared's story at federalnewsnetwork.com. Hello, and welcome to the Lessons in Leadership podcast. I am your host, Shane Canfield, CEO of WEPA. Today, I'm thrilled to be joined by Vice Admiral Cutler Dawson. Cutler has had an incredible career serving our country for 35 years in the Navy, where he attained the rank of Vice Admiral. 
During his service, he had numerous assignments afloat and ashore, including Commander, Second Fleet, Striking Fleet Atlantic, and in Washington at the Pentagon and on Capitol Hill, where he was the Navy's Chief of Legislative Affairs. Immediately following his retirement from active duty in 2004, he became the president and CEO of Navy Federal Credit Union, the world's largest credit union, where he served for 14 years. Under his leadership, Navy Federal grew from 2 million to 8 million members. Phenomenal. Cutler, welcome and thanks for joining me. Thank you, Shane. You've had a fascinating career across both military and the private sector. Can you tell us a little bit more about your background and your professional journey? Well, I started out at the Naval Academy where I graduated in 1970. And then, as you mentioned, spent 35 years in the Navy um, with uh, six actual actual uh, afloat commands. Uh, the first one was when I was 27 years old. Uh, I didn't know enough to be scared of anything. And it was uh, probably one of the highlights of my career. Um, and then after I retired, after 35 years, I went to uh, work at Navy Federal Credit Union as the CEO, where I spent my next 14 years. Um, I'm, I'm currently retired and enjoying life. And um, it's been a great run for me. How would you describe your leadership style? And how's that developed over the years? My style has been quite con- consistent. Um, I believe, and I've learned this in the Navy, that you have to go to the deck plates uh, to see what is going on. And you have to learn what your people do and how they do it so you can help them to be better at it and more efficient and more productive. Um, it's um, something that you need to do all the time. Um, I remember I used to tell folks that um, you don't want to retreat to your cabin what I mean by that is um, the longer you're in a position, the less you think you have to get out and about. But that should be the opposite. You should get out and about more because people change, situations change, and you've got to figure out a way to get to them and find out what they're doing and where, what you can do to help them. Uh, I. We'll talk a little bit more about your book, but I read it um, from sea to the C-suite. Fantastic read. You talk about the deck plates in that um, as well. I would encourage everyone to get a copy of this and read some more detail about going to the deck plates. Cutler, who was the most impactful leader in your life and what quality did you admire about them? I had numerous while I was in the Navy, but uh, the quality that, that I enjoyed the most was the leaders that got to know me as an individual and that they cared about me. And I could tell that they cared about me. And they were not only my leaders, but they were my mentors. And um, I remember um, one particular one, Bill Schiffer, when I had my first assignment at the Pentagon, um, I would go in to see him with my problem of the day. And I knew that he had numerous problems of his own, but he would stop and he would focus on me and he would make me feel like I was the most important person in his world. Um, and I, I tried to do that um, throughout my career. But really, it's about caring for your people. Cutler, in reading your book, there was a quote you used that you used to inspire those people that work for you. And it really got my attention. And it was, it was you are the captain of your own ship. I wonder if you can talk a little bit about what that means and how it was useful to you and the leaders you were developing. Uh, absolutely. Absolutely. Um, 
what I mean by captain of your own ship, when you are the captain of a ship, sometimes you're in the middle of the ocean and you don't have anybody to turn to to make decisions. You don't have anybody to turn to ask, what should I do now? You have to be the captain of that ship. And I, I translated that um, into, let's say, Navy Federal's organization, where I would tell branch managers that I said, you are the captain of the ships of Navy Federal. You're the ones that are facing the, the members or customers, as others call them, every day. And you have to make decisions without a lot of guidance, in some cases, and without a lot of time. So be the captain of your own ship. Step up, uh, make decisions, uh, do what you think is right, and you never can go wrong. I think that is so important. And you have to give your people a little bit of latitude to take some risk as well, because there is risk for them in doing that and risk to your organization. That's right. And, and I mentioned that I took command of my first ship uh, with five years in the Navy and I was 27 years old. Well, my boss had 32 years in the Navy and um, his, his guidance to me when I first met him was, Cutler, you do the right thing, and I'll back you up all the way. What a wonderful way to, to spend an assignment with, uh, with backup and, and guidance like that. What, what great, great advice. Uh, it's clear leadership is a topic you're passionate about. You wrote the book we mentioned before, um, From C to C-Suite. Can you tell us a little bit about that project? Yes. When I was at Navy Federal, I would tell C-Stories. Uh, as parables to get my point across. And um, folks would tell me, Cutler, we like your stories. It gives us a picture of what you're trying to tell us. Now, what else are they going to say? They work for me, but uh, uh, I took it as a compliment. And it was. And my wife encouraged me to write a book and I needed a co-author to help me. And I found a lady named Taylor Keelan, who was the perfect, perfect co-author. She turned in my stories into wonderful chapters um, that I'm very proud of. Where can listeners find a copy? Well, you can get it on Amazon, uh, and you can also uh, get it on the Naval Institute website. Uh, and I might add that um, any proceeds from the book, Navy Federal uses uh, to give to charity. Fantastic. Cutler, thank you very much. Really enjoyed your time and your lessons and in leadership and sharing with us your life story. And, and uh, I've learned a lot both from talking to you today and reading your book. And thank you very much for your time. It's my pleasure. And I, I, I would like to add one thing if I could, Shane. Um, during my assignments in Washington, D.C., I gained the utmost respect for the civilians that work here every day. They're hardworking, they're dedicated, and they, they have my eternal gratitude. Uh, I got to come and go from the Pentagon. They stayed every day and worked in Washington when I got to go out and um, enjoy being at sea. Perfect. Thank you. Yeah, we, WEPA serves civilian federal employees, but your comment is well taken because the interaction between the two is is continuous, it's nonstop, and it's critical. So uh, the career civil servants, as well as career military, uh, our country would not be where it is today without them. I totally agree. And, and I can tell you from the U.S. Navy standpoint, uh, we couldn't operate like we do without them being the backbone of what we do. Thank you very much for your time today, Cutler. And to everyone listening, 
to Lessons in Leadership podcast. We'll see you next time. Helping your employees learn new cloud skills helps your business become more agile, more resilient, and more secure. Not helping employees learn new cloud skills causes your business to become less agile, less resilient, less secure, less innovative, less profitable, and, well, ultimately less of a business. Don't become less of a business. Try Pluralsight and get your employees everything they need to learn new cloud skills. Learn more at Pluralsight.com vision. Grab a 30-day free trial of Live by Live Plus and you'll get unlimited skips, commercial-free music, and all of the podcasts and live streaming events you can handle. Visit LiveXLive.com slash podcast one to learn more and start your free trial.